0: This is Comic Shenanigans, Episode 79, Comic Reviews, the week of May 15th. Welcome once again to Comic Shenanigans. This is Episode 79. We're looking at the Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday to May 15th. And I am Adam Chapman, your host. Thanks once again for uh, downloading a new episode of Comic Shenanigans. Or if you're new to the podcast you know I'm excited to have you aboard and uh hopefully you'll enjoy the episode um for those unaware the odd numbered episodes at least up until this point have been for the most part except for I think episode maybe 4 uh have been reviews episodes and the even episodes are usually um uh, something a little bit different. It's usually me and a, and a co-host uh, either talking about hero clicks or movies or recent video video games or uh, recent comics, etc. So the next episode that will be going up in two to three days will be episode 80, which will be my uh, Spotlight on Star Trek in the Darkness episode where I'll be looking at uh, the new Star Trek movie along with uh, two co-hosts, one of which will be my wife, Kelly Chapman, and another will be uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Tibor Mate, who previously was on the Spotlight and, Spotlight on Iron Man 3 episode um, just plugging the archive, uh, which was a few episodes ago, I believe it was episode 76. Um, it was he was on that episode. That was his first episode, and but as long as I've known him, he's been a huge fan of Star Trek. Uh, he is not really looking forward to seeing the new movie all that much, but because uh, more he's afraid of what it will be, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if it ends up being what he fears it will be. Anyway, that's plugging the future. Uh, let's jump into what we're looking at this week. Uh, so in terms of the comics that came out this week, not a huge list. Um, it's actually relatively small compared to some of the recent ones. um last episode episode seventy seven of the comic reviews episode um I had very little time to record the episode, so it ended up being really condensed. It was about like a thirty minute episode, which I think is the fastest I've ever done a reviews episode in. uh this probably would be more of a, a regular sized episode, um but there's not a lot of comics, so it might end up around the same type of runtime. Uh, So alphabetically the first book I'll be looking at this week is Age of Ultron number 8 This is a frustrating book um, More because We're finally in something that could be kind of interesting But we only have two issues left And, I mean, I I read a lot of articles on Newsrama, comic book resources, etc., and elsewhere, and they bring up a lot of good points that, you know, there's some really interesting ideas that Bendis is exploring, particularly in this issue, but it took us seven issues to really get here, or really six issues to even get to where last issue kind of started us off, and that's kind of that's a big problem. That first of all, Ultron himself has not really showed up in this uh, arc at all. And uh, ins- instead, we've had Vision acting for him, but we haven't really seen Ultron himself. Um, we never saw what really led to the Age of Ultron really happening, or at least not really. And then uh, we spend a lot of issues getting to the Savage Land so that these t- this time travel story can take place. And then we see a future the future version go to the future, but then. It, we just focus on the past changing, and what I don't like is that Marvel time has always been clearly set up that if you change, the, if you go back into the past and you change something, you're not actually changing your present; you're creating an alternate timeline. Yet here they like to—they're trying to make us believe it's more like a Back to the Future world, which is fine, but the logic of the Marvel universe doesn't go that way. And I guess that's more my problem with it: is that if you have, you know, 50 years of showing that this is true. And then you do a story that says it's not true. Well, I have 50 years to back it up that this shouldn't even be happening. They should have gone back to their own time. It's not back to the future, basically. Um, so it's a little frustrating in that regard. I mean, I think the only, uh, only other time travel story that was really ever done ignoring standard Marvel rules would have been the Age of Apocalypse. Um, and But again, well, there I think the explanation... It still doesn't make any sense based on Marvel rules, but I think the explanation there was that uh, there was a crack in the what was uh, MacRan crystal, MacRan crystal, uh, which, as a result of trying to change the past, uh, maybe Legion's power worked differently. Regardless, that's the only other time that they've ever actually kind of circumnavigated the traditional Marvel rules of time travel and causality, and here they're doing it again but I I think the difference for me and I some people might take issue with this but Age of Apocalypse to me was a really well done story and surprising that takes place in the middle of the 90s we like, what, 94? And yet, it's actually pretty interesting. I mean, it's obviously a little bloated and there's a lot going on, but every tie-in felt like it meant something. Every tie-in had a purpose, and it all led towards something in the end, which is a, a rarity, in these days especially, uh, to see something so cohesively plotted out that every tie-in actually did matter in its own way. You didn't need to read it, but if you wanted to read all the characters, it wasn't just seeing what their world was like. It was Everything was building towards the climax in uh, X-Men Omega. Whereas with this, you're having this, the, the, you're changing the rules of causality in this universe, and for what? I mean, we're t- we're seeing some interesting stuff, but it also feels like it's going to be shoved away so quickly because there's not enough time. Um, there's only two more issues left, and issue the last issue is supposed to be a big one anyway. But I mean, I think that's just what frustrates me about this event is that "Calling at the Age of Ultron" is kind of a misnomer, and then I don't know, it just it just frustrates me. Uh, this issue is written by Bendis, obviously. Illustrated by Brandon Peterson. Peterson does some pretty good artwork here. I kind of miss Pacheco, but obviously he's not, it wasn't his style of book to be doing. Uh, Peterson's artwork, it's not as clean and crisp as it used to, but his faces also don't look as, uh, as kind of, they don't bug out as, as much as they used to. Some of the details here are a little bit lacking. Um, there's a lot going on because you have Iron Man trying to figure out, you know, what the hell's going on. Then you have um, Morgana Le Fay showing up, and that's pretty interesting as well. You have the defenders fighting against this magical onslaught. And <laughs> Bendis likes to blow up helicarriers. So here he blows up two. It, that's fine. It's, it's interesting. I just... I don't know where it's... I don't know... Where, there's not enough time to really explore what could have been explored. This is probably one of the better written issues. Because it felt like Bendis has a lot he actually wants to say. But he spent seven issues getting to the point. So he really can't doesn't have enough time to really explore his ideas. Which is unfortunate. Because the first five issues were slow and they weren't as necessary. And now we finally get to a really good place, and it has to be over quickly. Uh, I gave this issue seven and a half out of ten. Uh, next up is Avengers: Enemy Within number one. Man, I did not like this. I gave it a six originally, but I'm actually going to downgrade it to a five. I didn't much care for it. Obviously. Um, for those who haven't been reading Captain Marvel, she's been having some issues that she's, she's sick and she can't fly. Something's kind of growing inside of her brain. It's written by Kelly art by, um, Hepburn. Um, it's basically a crossover between Avengers Assemble and Captain Marvel. Uh, I didn't like it, didn't like how the characters are written. Uh, having Jessica Drew and Captain Marvel team up was painful. Um, wasn't that well written. The artwork was just not my, to my taste at all. Um, It was a little bit better than the main book has been in Captain Marvel, but not by much. It's just, ah, I'm incredibly frustrated by this book. It just, I didn't find it it good at all, Uh, which is unfortunate, because I want to like it. I want to like these characters, and I just can't, because it's not good, Um, which is unfortunate. I, I almost feel like I don't want to say anything else. I mean there's there's a bit of a fight sequence, there's a little bit of this and that, but I just found it I was so disengaged, so not caring. Um the artwork wasn't as I said, wasn't to my taste. I didn't like how the characters were written or how they were talking. Um comic really miss dropped the ball here. I gave it a five at best. Um next up is Backgirl number twenty. I liked this. It was kind of messed up. We got this new uh female version of Ventriloquist, which is kinda of cool. Uh, she's very creepy, and the stuff that she does is really messed up. Um, I didn't like. There's some shots of Barbara at the beginning. And I really didn't like the art because it looked like she was like. There wasn't. That she, it didn't look like she was crying. And I guess it was supposed to be maybe running mascara, but it looked like she was like bleeding from her eyes. And I didn't really like that. But I did like the back row's having some major issue with uh, the fact that she thinks that she killed her brother. Now, if you only read Batgirl and didn't read Birds of Prey turn out Birds of Prey, uh, Suicide Squad. You wouldn't know that she didn't actually kill him. He's still alive. He's in Belrev or wherever uh, the Suicide Squad is. He's a member of the Suicide Squad now, but I like that Gail Simone isn't going the easy way out, and he's making sure that, sorry, she's making sure that Barbara's really having to deal with the consequences of her actions and how she feels dirty and pure. Um, she's not worthy of the bat, so she like rips it off her costume. Fascinating stuff. It's really interesting character study. The artwork here is by Daniel Saint-Pierre and Carlos Rodriguez. Um, Really dug the style. I, I like kind of seeing Barbara go into action and uh, her kind of dealing with what she's done before and having to kind of hold back a little. Uh, the creepy ventriloquist. You got Gordon wanting to uh, make Batgirl pay for killing his son. Really strong stuff. Um, I gave it an 8. I actually was originally thinking 7.5, but just flipping through it again, I actually really dug it, so I gave it an 8. Um, next up is Batwoman number 20. This one was really kind of a hard one for me to decide on. I wasn't really sure how I felt about it. Um, Overall, I think I ended up going with an 8 out of 10. Um, J.H. Williams III wrote it. Uh, He did not do the artwork here, though, uh, as instead the artwork is done by someone else. Uh, I did like the background that we're getting. Sorry, the artwork here is by Trevor McCarthy. Uh, The story is actually written by J.H. Williams III and W. Hayden Blackman. Um, and Sandu Floria or Floria is doing the finishes on pages, what, six, 10, 12 to 20 guy major on colors. Um, I really like the colors here. That's why I mentioned them. Um, especially in the, the flashbacks as you see what chase did previously and, uh, how a mission gone wrong. I like seeing that. I like the idea that bones is kind trying to uh, basically blackmail back bat woman, uh, with her sister, uh, who's now alive and not dead at all. Um, You have Batwoman dealing with her family, kind of having overheard what she was saying and starting to try and weigh in on what's going on, including Maggie. Um, The idea that Batwoman's basically, in order to get her sister back, she has to agree to try and get Batman's identity. Really kind of interesting stuff. I dug this, and I'm interested to see how the kind of team Batwoman works. The next issue is they have to try and get the job done so they can bring Beth home. Um, now I didn't know much about the character but I mean they, it's, I, this is just a really well written issue with really great artwork and it was, it was a joy to read um, next up is Birds of Prey number 20 I actually dug this a lot more than I think I would, had any right to um, I think I've been a little hard on the book in times but I kind of dug this with uh, oh, what's her name Starling uh, betraying the team and working with Mr. Freeze I actually kind of liked that I like that we're having Mister Freeze still having his vendetta against the Court of Owls. Um, I just like the way that this fight is choreographed. I like the Black Canary is still dealing with her her own fear of using her powers because of what it might do. Um, the end of the issue is really cool because you have Talon show up, and I'm excited to see what that's like. It says next issue is Talon versus Talon to the death, but it's probably not actually going to be to that death. But I like that it's going to be Strix versus Talon. Talon operating. In Gotham, I'm guessing Talon must not be selling that well because they're trying to, you know, bring Batman to the book even briefly, just for like a shot, and then we have him showing up here, trying to, I guess, uh, bring interest in the character elsewhere. Um, I like, I like that this book has not been afraid to include the Court of Owls characters and really embrace the Batgirl connection as much as possible. Um, I mean, a lot of people, I think, do give a lot of flack to DC for the new 52 because it started out fairly strong, and it feels like a lot of the books have kind of fallen apart. Um, But I have really enjoyed Birds of Prey, especially recently. It's been really strong. Um, Again, Batwoman's been strong. Bat- Batgirl's been good. I think the problem is, though, that I think the Batman family makes up at least, what, 10 to 14 books, and that's a problem when you have 52 books and almost, what, like a... Uh, a fourth of that is dominated by one character. Um, it's kind of messed up, actually. But, I mean, it's understandable. I mean, for some reason, books with a bat on it sell more than books with, a, with an S on it, Superman. Granted, Superman's family and his reach isn't as large, but I don't think they would necessarily sell as well. Whereas with with Batman, I mean, you've got what Batman, Dark Knight, um, Detective Comics, Batman Incorporated. That's four to start. Then you got Batman and Robin. Uh, so that's five you got um, Nightwings that's six Batgirl Batwoman uh, that's eight Um, I know there's more I'm thinking about Red Hood and the Outlaws I guess technically counts that's nine I know there's more and I can't even think of them but that's how many there are and you could almost count Birds of Prey in that kind of list because it kind of neatly folds into that family especially with Batgirl being there so I mean that's a lot of Bat related books Um, anyways Sorry about that tangent. I did. I dug this book. It was a fun read. Um, Christy Marks wrote it with artwork by Romano Molinar. I don't know who either of these people are, yet they did a great job. I actually really like Molinar's uh, take on the characters. Um, sharp, sharp pencils. I like the colors by Sotomayor, uh, Chris Sotomayor. I and mean, inks here are by Jonathan Glapian. Um, I enjoyed it quite a lot. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Uh, next up, after Birds of Prey, number 20... Is uh, Cable and X Force number eight? Ugh. Um, I gave this. I think I gave it more than I realized. Actually, I gave it a seven, and I it actually is more of a six. And I don't know why I wrote seven. Um, Salvador Roca does the artwork. It's written by Dennis Hopeless. I'm not a huge fan of how this book is written. Um, I don't know. I just I, first of all, where did where did Cable go? Not Cable go. Where did uh, Cyclops go after last issue? That's how much I don't care or remember last issue. Like. And this whole... Him having, uh, Cable having these these flashes and wanting to stop things from happening and going to space, it feels too big and it just doesn't feel like Cable. And I just don't care. Like, this book is frustrating. The artwork is not good. Uh, I don't know what happened to to LaRocca. He wasn't that great in Iron Man either. He just kind of continuously kept losing something. Uh, I think the colorist is a big issue, but I just, I don't care for, this isn't Cable. It's really frustrating. And I don't like the stupid eye patch either. I don't know what that's all about. I don't, I don't enjoy this issue. I don't enjoy this series. I, things happen, and then they're over, and I'm just like, okay, the issue's done. Great. Like, I just, I'm, I'm not digging this. Um, I well, I think the only bright spot, maybe, maybe, is Colossus, because he's dealing with ev- the aftermath of ABX, and that's kind of interesting, having him be so down on himself and so kind of wanting to give up, but other than that, no, not no thanks. Um, so yeah, that was, I guess, a six, uh, if he even deserves that. Uh, next up is FF number seven, didn't much care for this either, I mean between FF and Fantastic Four, even though the Fantastic Four are usually written fairly not well, uh, I think that I do enjoy f- a fraction writing that more than on um, this book, um, I don't know, I just didn't, I don't care, I, it's, just a, it's frustrating when it's not, just not good, and the, and the cover is kind of a throwback kind of cover, but I didn't really care for that either, um, So this issue is written by, as I said, Matt Fraction. Uh, Artwork is by Michael Allred with colors by Laura Allred. You have the Frightful Four going up against the the weird new version of uh, the Fantastic Four and they're fighting in the negative zone. That's about it. Um, It's not that well written. Um, I found the artwork a little charming at times, but I just found the issue like it was a chore to get through. And I mean, it is kind of a throwback, but not necessarily in a good way. Um, you yeah, got Mind Control, Medusa, etc., which is a little bit less interesting than I thought they would go. Uh, I'm going to give it a 6.5 out of 10. Uh, speaking of 6.5 out of 10, I'm going to give the same rating to Gambit number 12. This book, I think it was just announced it's been canceled, so I'm not really that surprised. Uh, the artwork on the cover is fantastic, though. <laughs> I'll say that. Uh, you yeah, got Clayman on artwork, uh, James Asmus writing it. The book just doesn't hasn't really felt like it really had an idea what it wanted to be. Um, the pencils in the issue are by, sorry, not by Clayman. Partially by Clayman, also by Dexter Soy and uh, Leonard Kirk. Uh, the Clayman parts are really gorgeous, but I, f- I feel like there's just a lot of shots of it just kind of being sloppy. There were some parts of this issue I really liked where you have Gambit wearing a jetpack uh, going up against or trying to get Tombstone. I actually really liked how Tombstone was written. Uh, he's not just wearing like a black bodysuit like normal, but he's actually wearing like a nice suit. Uh, I actually kind of dug that. Um, but the whole, what they've been after and the compound and how it blows things up and destroys things, I just found that was very boring. Uh, I didn't much care for that. It brings it into the storyline. You, you get to see a little bit more about Joelle and how she's a much older than we realize. And basically, she shrivels up and dies because she takes this uh, thing. And who knows what, what's up with Fence because it's a little unclear by the end. Is he totally dead? He was a robot? I don't even remember if we knew that, because I find most of this book forgettable. Uh, 6.5 out of 10. Uh, next up is, uh, let's see here, Iron Man number 10. This was frustrating. I I don't like what it's doing, but at the same time, it wasn't necessarily badly working. I gave it a 7 out of 10, which is probably higher than it deserves. The idea that this Vigelian recorder um, knows a lot about Tony's history, and then basically it's this flashback series of howard and maria trying to find out that you know that's having a baby but they're not going to be able to come to term there's something wrong and uh tony goes hurry not tony howard goes all around the world tries to figure out if he can get a uh, something to help save him and in order to do this he then ends up being involved with what, he, what they call the stark seven uh which includes a few interesting names um uh, mainly thunderbolt ross uh and uh jimmy woo and uh, What's his name? Dum Dum Dugan. So it's inter- It's kind of an interesting. It's it's just another thing that's kind of squished into the pre Marvel history, but like before the Fantastic Four. I mean, there's been a lot that they built in around that time. Uh, I do like that you get a little bit of shards of finding out that yes, I mean Howard was involved with Shield. So there's not they're not shying away from that. Um, I don't know. I it remains to be seen, but I just don't necessarily think it's that. I don't think it's necessary to revise Tony Stark's origin and make it so that he was always kind of meant to be something else. They kind of did that in the Ultimate Universe, but that was okay because it was its own universe. I don't really need them to kind of shoehorn this into the past of an existing character. Um, Kieran Gillen wrote it, uh, Dale Eaglesham on the artwork, and it's unmistakable. You go to that first page and you're like, that's Eaglesham. Everyone's kind of built like an Eaglesham character, which isn't a dig. I do like how he portrays characters, and I think that's part of why I gave it a 7. And not less because although the story's a little dumb, the artwork is fairly enjoy enjoyable. Um, better than Big Land's work for sure. Um, just not sure where this is going, and uh, I can't really detract it for that. But it does make me wonder, like, where is this book going, and what does it want to be? Uh, next up is Justice League of America's Vibe number four. It's quite the mouthful every issue. Um, so this is written by uh, Sterling Gates with artwork by Neves and Garcia. Um, I actually really dug how the artwork was by Manuel Garcia and Fabiano Neves. Uh, I really like the script by Sterling Gates. I just like this book. I never thought I'd enjoy a Vibe book, but he's actually kind of an interesting character. He's trying to learn, uh, kind of think for himself, and he knows that maybe he shouldn't trust everything about Argus. Um, and they go up against Gypsy, and obviously, for fans of Vibe or Gypsy, if there are fans of Vibe anyway. um they would know that there's obviously some J L I history between them and the pre new fifty two, so that's interesting. And then uh it looks like you know Bob and Gypsy kind of disappear and the Suicide Squad is gonna have to bring uh bring them in. And by Suicide Squad apparently I mean I'm sure it'll be the rest of the team, but all that we see a picture of is Harley Quinn in that ridiculous current outfit. I really miss her old outfit. especially it just was more more everything. It was more Harley Quinn. This is just kind of tarted up with a lot of boob. Um and just a lot a lot of skin that for a killer that wouldn't make a lot of sense and she's holding like a giant like um, sledgehammer which is kind of dumb uh, then you have King Shark who's always cool kind of interesting and you got Deadshot I'm still not a huge fan of his uh, current look. Uh, but that'll be the next issue. So, I mean, this was alright. I mean, I'm, I'm actually enjoying Vibe's take on the thing quite a lot. I never thought I would enjoy a book starring Vibe. I think it's unfortunate that it has to have the longest subtitle or longest title on the planet, which is Just as Think of America's Vibe. It can't just be Vibe. But uh, I'm liking it. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Uh, next up after that is Nightwing, number 20. I'm not a huge fan of the artistic direction of this book. Just because I'm not a huge fan of Brett Booth, he's alright, but I mean, I really liked, uh, what was it, Eddie Barrows, and this just is, isn't him at all. I mean, the artwork's alright, but it's not the same. Uh, that being said, I really do like the story, um, I like that we got Nightwing in Chicago, he's dealing with a whole new area, the place that is not a fan of superheroes, so that's kind of interesting, so it's not really a, a good place for capes to go, um, And you got this prankster character, and I, I just, I'm enjoying it quite a lot. At least the story. I mean, again, the artwork isn't quite up to my taste. Uh, It's still written by Kyle Higgins, and it's, which is kind of impressive that he's still writing the book, even after what I think he's written all 20 issues. And then you have, as I said, uh, Brett Booth on artwork. Um, It's not even bad artwork. It's just not quite to my taste. And I think uh, there's something about the kind of the weird faces he does. Which makes some people look a lot younger and some people look a lot older than they should. Um, anyway, but I am enjoying this Zuko story, this Zuko storyline. So sorry, I don't know why I said Zuko. It's definitely Tony Zuko. Um, I like the intrigue, and I, I I think it's just nice to have Nightwing out of Gotham um, because he's such a Gotham-centric character, uh, and even Bloodhaven always kind of it was always you know Gotham-lite. So I like that he's in Chicago, and they give Chicago a distinctive feel, and that's a nice. nice change of pace, to be honest. Um, so next up is Nova number 4. Um, I don't know if I like this quite as much as some of the previous issues. I still gave it an 8 out of 10, because it's still fairly solid. Uh, written by Jeff Lowe, by work by Ed McGuinness. The Chitauri are so... so nothing, uh, to be honest, in this book. I mean, they're just kind of being used because I guess they have name recognition now that they've been in a movie. Uh, although prior to that, they were only in the Ultimate Universe, and they were just a version of the Skulls. Um... Here you have the former partner of Nova's dad. Kind of, we find out what happened to him and uh, how he's kind of teamed up with the Chitauri Chita- and has had his body rebuilt. And he wants to basically get Nova's helmet from him. Um, I enjoy this because it is a nice kind of fast and easy uh, origin story. I still have reservations about what this title might be after the origin story is completed, but for the most part, still a solid read. Um, yeah, I can't really say anything bad about it, so I give it an 8 out of 10. Uh next up is Red Hood and the Outlaws number 20. Um went back and forth on this. I gave it a 6 out of 10. I'm not a huge fan of this issue mainly because I just I don't what was the point of this? It was just it was really long. It felt arduous to get through. Um I like James Tanian, but uh or the uh, James Tonian the fourth, I guess. Uh Julius Gópez on artwork. I'm not a huge fan of the art in this book. It really kind of varied. It You'd have... It'd be really sharp and have a nice clarity, and then you'd lose that. You got a little bit of an origin story here, but I, I found I didn't really like the origin story because you have... Uh, it gives you the idea of there being more history with um, Roar Harper than we've really seen elsewhere. And then we have him kind of being found by, uh, by Robin uh, just prior to Robin dying. Uh, at the end, we have Green Arrow kind of deciding he's going to have to come to the rescue again? I'm not really sure. I, I feel like this book had a really good sense of where it wanted to go. And then, um, then Red Hood kind of nerfed his mind. Or ended up going and getting his mind kind of wiped and, and reformatted. And I'm just not a huge fan of what's happening now. Um, so we'll see. And I'm still not really sold on this version of Green Arrow. Because he's so much younger and not having the goatee. and It, it just lacks something in general for me. Uh, I gave it a 6 out of 10. I wasn't a huge fan of the art, nor was I of the writing, which is unusual because I actually usually liked James Tiny in the 4th. This just wasn't it. Um, next up is Supergirl number 20. I was, yeah, I don't know, I was i was looking forward to this issue and it wasn't that great. Although I, when I first pulled out the issue and uh, my wife saw the cover, it's just like, oh, boobs! <laughs> and I'm like, Yep, yeah, that's uh, a lot of boobs. I mean, and Supergirl might be covered, but they're still kind of ridiculously... They do overemphasize them, for sure. I do like the idea of having Supergirl and Girl meeting up, although I wish it was in any way other than this, because it, it just felt like I wanted to have them actually interacting with each other, and instead, they don't actually interact, really. Yeah, they they do, because they're fighting against a common foe, but I don't know. Michael Allen Nelson wrote it with artwork by Mahmoud Azrar. Uh The artwork, not in any way as sharp or as clean as the cover, um, but the artwork does have more of a sense of fun than the cover does, if that makes any sense. Um, it was kind of a fun, silly issue because you have Sanctuary turning against Kara and Kara, uh, because it's obsessed with the idea that one of them must be a clone and the clones must be destroyed. So that part was kind of interesting. Other than that, it was kind of a throwaway issue. Uh, I wish we had more of a heart the heart between the two characters and we kind of got an idea that that was coming in the last page, but or last couple pages, but um, I don't know. I just wanted to see a little bit more of a connection between the two characters um, to show the differences between them and who they are as people. Um, But I did kind of dig the issue. I gave it a 7 out of 10. Uh, Next up with Thunderbolts number 9, I'm being charitable, very charitable, by giving it a 6 out of 10. Uh, I just don't like how this issue is written or how the series really has been written. It's all over the place. I don't really care for how the characters are being written at all or... Nothing about it. like Daniel Way is just failing so hard on this book, and then uh, Phil Noto and artwork. Um, it's it's a step up from Dylan, but that's not necessarily saying much. Uh, the characters just don't they don't feel like how these characters w- would interact in any other book or how they would act anywhere else. I like the idea that you got the Vanco connection and you, you got the um, you know got the Crimson Dynamo armors. That's kind of interesting, but other than that, I'm just not really digging this at all. Uh, so I gave it a, a six, and as I said, a charitable six. Uh, next up, after Thunderbolts, is uh, let's see, uh, Ultimate Comic Spider-Man number twenty-three. I think this will be the only line I give this week. Um, I just really like this. I, I read online that some people were like, "Well, there's a lot of talking, but there's not a lot of action." Uh, I felt like I didn't need to. I like seeing that that Miles actually stuck to it instead of being pulling a Peter Parker. And being like, oh, I'm not going to be Spider-Man. And then within an issue becoming Spider-Man, at least here, it's one year later. And I like that. I mean, sometimes there can be really a lot of benefits to doing a successful jump in time. Um, I recently watched the Office series finale. And for those who haven't watched it yet, I guess, spoilers, you might want to jump ahead a minute or two. But uh, that basically the idea of the finale was that it takes place a year after the last episode and the last episode before that was them all gathering around to watch the documentary that they were basically a part of that they were that was them that was filmed with them over the past nine years and they were finally going to see what happened with it and then we jump forward a year and we see where are they now what's happened since and it was done really effectively because they made some interesting jumps for the characters and we ended up still getting a a nice sweet send-off for all these characters that we come to know and love over nine years um so this issue definitely felt like Miles is someone different. Uh, things have, have changed for this guy. Um, Miles has grown up. He doesn't look as young. He doesn't look as much like a kid. Uh, and I like that. He does look taller. He does look bigger. Like the smallest little inflections have been modified. So now he's a little bit bigger. And I really did dug this. Um, and I do like the idea also that Miles Morales has a girlfriend, basically, and her name is Katie Bishop, so she's Kate Bishop, she's Hawkeye. Um, I love little touches like that, uh, I like that Miles is still dealing with the fact that he's not Spider-Man anymore, he's dealing with Yankees telling him to be one, uh, Jessica Drew is telling him that he should be Spider-Man, uh, he's kind of confronted on all sides, but everyone's saying like you should be Spider-Man, but he doesn't want that anymore, and uh but everywhere he goes, he can't help but be, be reminded of it. Um, his him and his dad are living together because uh, with his mom being dead, um, his dad has got a bit of a, a cripple. He's wearing a cane, using a cane now. Um, you have uh, I, I, there's a great shot where he comes home and he sees that I guess Jessica Drew has dropped off a case that she wanted him to take, and it's just got the, a new Spider-Man costume as well as some Shield issue uh, web shooters, which is really cool, and. Um, yeah, and I just like that she's really taken this kind of interest in him and trying to push him back towards being Spider-Man. And then, of course, you have Spider-Man meet up with Gwen Stacy, who is working at a diner. And I thought she'd be a little bit more famous, and I don't know. I just feel like she wouldn't be working at the diner like here, and she looks a little too young for herself. But it was interesting, and then at the very end of the issue, we have the new Cloak and Dagger uh, show up uh, to go up against uh, Bombshell, this new villain, I guess, or a new character, anyway. Um, So I really dug it. David Marquez killed it on artwork. Um, If it's not Sarah Pacelli, it should be David Marquez. He's got brilliant artwork. Uh, I really dug him here. Uh, It's written by Brian Michael Bendis. He's fantastic. Um, This is just a really good book. It's very solid. It doesn't need Spider-Man action. Uh, The last couple issues, they had more than enough Spider-Man action to keep it going. And this was more about the emotional fallout. And it felt earned. It felt uh, genuine. And a part of that is that there was a year gap. Um, part of it always underscored or made uh, Spider-Man's, uh, you know, his, his retirements always feel very like, yeah, whatever. is it, Because it was never permanent. It never lasted a year. I think the longest one was like three or four months. But um, really, he's never really been able to extricate himself from the superhero identity. Or we still saw him confronted by it. Uh, and still like, wanting to do it, but then c- catching himself. Whereas here, he's made it very clear to everyone around him he's not going to be Spider-Man anymore. He can't do that. It's too dangerous, um, which is interesting. Um, so I get this a 9 out of 10. It was really good. Wolverine and the X-Men, number 29. This book has just been up and down, up and down, up and down. That being said, I did actually kind of dig this and like this, um, because this is an issue where you have him... Wolverine's dealing with the fact of what happened with Dog in the last uh, last couple of issues, him dealing with that, and then giving a speech and doing this uh, time capsule and burying it and saying, you know, this is this is about here and now, this is about the future, and then they bury this time capsule, and 25 years later, we get a brief glimpse of what the future looks like. And I love stuff like that, and I like seeing that, you know, I-boy is still there, Wolverine wants to be able to go back in time and tell himself something, and it's just an intriguing issue... Um, I like seeing little f- bits of the of the future that will never actually come to pass in the main continuity. Um, yeah, and I don't really care for the dog stuff, but it is what that is what it is as well. Um, yeah, I don't care for dog at all. And then you have Edie leaving to join the Hellfire Academy, and that's kind of fine. But I'm interested, and then Brew, kind of ugh, poor Brew, he's just an animal at this point. Poor guy. Um. So the issue wasn't bad. I mean, I've been really hard on this in the last few issues, especially because I didn't like the whole dog storyline. I was hoping we were done with it. So it's too bad that he's still around. But at least it's written a little bit better here. But the main focus is on you know the future, and I, I'm really I like to see that. And it's called Key to the Future, which is an interesting kind of play on what happens in the issue. Uh, it's written by Jason Aaron, artwork by Ramon Perez. Uh, You know, Ramon Perez does a fairly good job. I liked his take on the older Wolverine. It's kind of a riff on the Days of Future Past, but in a much more happy way. Um, He's not looking as desperate or as, you know, hunted. Uh, And then next, so that's a 7 out of 10. And next up is the last issue we're going to talk about, which is X-Factor 256, which I believe is the end of the Hell on Earth War, or whatever it's called, storyline. So last issue ended with Monet apparently dying. Uh, you have Tyr uh, T- kind of deciding that he's going to kill all the Hell Gods. He's going to make do on his destiny because that's what he's supposed to do. Um, kind of horrifying when he attacks everyone the way he does, but it is what it is. Polaris really getting into the fight and, and being as uh, aggressive as she can. Um, some surprising stuff happens with Mephisto. I don't know how long this will last, but it's an interesting status quo shift for sure. Uh, with Mephisto finally dying and being killed by uh or sorry, not dying um tear dying and stabbed through the chest and killed and whoever kills him is supposed to become basically the new the new like lord of hell and that ends up being Guido uh, which is an odd touch for sure and um M is is resurrected and brought back to life and then you just kind of the issue just ends with uh, Guido kind of being on the throne and telling her to get out and I don't know where we're supposed to go from here it's just a weird thing but there's only I guess a few more issues left until the book will be actually be over um so I guess we'll, we'll have time for Peter David to kind of wrap up any uh, loose ends that he wants to uh, I am gonna miss this book I mean it's it's been up and down obviously with terms of quality but I mean it's always had certain um, constants one of them was obviously Peter David um so I, I will miss his take on these characters and having his own soapbox or sorry not soapbox his own sandbox to tell his own stories. Uh, as I said, this issue is written by Peter David, artwork by Leonard Kirk, they're a nice team, I enjoyed seeing them together, uh, this was a good book, I give it a 7 out of 10, because there were some flaws, uh, it's kind of weird, but, and also to see Tier die like that, especially by Strong Guy, I don't understand, I I've read this issue, these series for a while, and I still don't know what the hell has happened to Strong Guy, like, I don't like how they've been—they do- resurrected him without a soul and it all led up to this. I mean, I don't know. I hope that the- when this series is over that we'll get a workable version of Strong Guy back. But I can't. you know Who, who can tell for certain? Um, now, there were a few issues I didn't get a chance to look at this week. Uh, they include Catwoman 20, mainly because I don't read it because the last issue I read made me so angry, I decided I would never read it again. Uh, or at least until maybe I heard something really good about it, but that hasn't happened yet. Uh, JSA, The Liberty Files, The Whistling Skull, number 6, just because I haven't been following that at all. Legion of Superheroes, number 20. I believe this is, this book has been announced to be canceled, but I'm not sure. I did want to read it, but I just never really found the time to jump back, and I don't really want to jump in the middle of things. Uh, Sword of Sorcery, number 8. I believe that got canceled. This might even be the last issue. Uh, Wolverine Max, number 7, and Wonder Woman, number 20. I've fallen off of Wonder Woman. Um, hopefully I'll go back on it at some point, but that just isn't yet happening. So, that's our episode. So, thanks again for joining me, Adam Chapman, on uh, this uh, exploration of the books that were released on May 15th last week. Um, yeah, so this has been episode 79. Thanks for joining me. Uh, you can like us on Facebook, send me an email at shenanigans at gmail.com. Uh, you can also post on our H C Realms thread uh, where the episodes usually go up. Um, I always welcome any feedback or uh, you know, anything you want to say about the show. I always appreciate it. Uh, and Thank you for listening to the show. I think we're we're approaching. I think we're just over nine thousand downloads now, um, which I guess isn't that impressive because we've had, you know, up till now seventy-eight episodes. But still, um, I still think of this as a, a as a fledgling new podcast, and because to me it still is because it doesn't have huge numbers. But uh, we are this is episode seventy-nine, so I mean we're we're starting the march to uh, the march to a hundred. Uh, the hundredth episode will coming out I think the last week of July. Um, so I am excited for that as we get closer and closer. Uh, anyways, and as I said, the next episode will be episode 80, uh, the spotlight on Star Trek in the Darkness episode, which will be going up on Wednesday the 22nd. And then on Wednesday the 29th, we'll have episode 82, which will be the uh, the next Book of the Month Club episode with uh, me and my special guests Paul Scores and Nathan Strzok. And as we'll be talking about uh, Red She-Hulk Volume 1, uh, Saga Volume 1 and uh, what was, and Superman's Secret Identity uh, which was uh, I recently re-released Trade uh, covering a Stuart Eminem and Kiribushik story um, so hopefully that'll be a, an interesting episode and definitely a smorgasbord in terms of quality and material um, I, 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 someone who had listened to a previous episode wondered if maybe next time Nate would, Nate would find a book he didn't hate uh, which is actually technically not correct because he did enjoy East of West number one that we did last time but uh, it would be interesting to see how that goes Anyways, thanks for uh, listening to the episode. Thanks for downloading, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.